you have to be comfortable being aware. And so many times, you know, with diversity and inclusion, it is a matter of the head and heart, and you can have all this strategy or whatever, but you want to be comfortable in knowing what you don't know, and then admitting that maybe you could do something different and then do it. From Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast that elevates innovative entrepreneurs and their ideas. I'm Danielle Kahn, the head of Lift Labs, and today's guests are Marlon Williams and Tani Brown. Marlon is VP of Diversity and Inclusion at StockX, the live marketplace for exclusive sneakers, streetwear, handbags, and more, where she's responsible for driving development execution and maintenance of a comprehensive DEI strategy for the whole company. Our second guest, Tani, is Jop Wells, head of community. In her role, she leads marketing and growth while creating spaces for the community of Black, Latinx, and Native American students and professionals to learn, connect, and advance. In this episode, Marlon and Tani join my colleague, Khalil Lawson, director of executive search at Comcast during one of our Live at Lyft events. They'll chat about the best hiring practices for creating an inclusive work environment and explain how technology impacts your ability to build diverse teams. Plus, they'll give you some tips on how to recruit from a more diverse talent pool to ensure your company, startup to corporate, is bringing in job candidates with unique skills and perspectives. All that and more with Marlon Williams and Tani Brown, now on Ideas Elevated. Marlon and Tani, maybe if you could give us with you, Marlon, first, starting with just an idea of a bit more about your current role and the path in which you did to get there. I had been with StockX for seven months and I was hired as their inaugural um, global diversity and inclusion um, VP for diversity and inclusion. And um, it was interesting because I was very happy with the career I had. Before this, I was working for TechTown Detroit and Wayne State University. And I was responsible as chief program officer. And of course, diversity and inclusion was really a, a huge part of that. So I was very happy. Economic development. Then StockX came a knocking. And uh, I excitedly took the position because, you know, it is a place where it's a startup, four years old, but it's still a startup that's looking to start. And, you know, just as far as background, diversity and inclusion has been my body of work for 20 plus years. I started my career as a mortician, but that's a whole nother live stream. Um, And then went into technology as a mainframe programmer and kind of rose the ranks from there. Thanks, Marlon. Talk about being recruitment, right? We're talking about recruiting. <laughs> and Tani and you, how did you get into this space? How did you get to Jopwell? Uh, I've been with Jopwell for going on six years. Uh, I was a third employee. Uh, and prior to Jopwell, I started off my career working at Google, uh, working in advertising and digital products. So had really taken that experience after Google, uh, moved to Vietnam, did a Fulbright uh, scholarship out in northern Vietnam where I was teaching English, teaching theater, working with farmers and their students. And that's when I started to really awaken to this idea of, you know, uh, minority cultures and creating spaces, programs to make sure that minorities, and because there are underrepresented folks in every country around the world, that, that minorities were being given opportunities within the areas that I was in. So then when I came back to the U.S., the idea that I had was that I wanted to create a technology-backed platform 
that would help advance underrepresented talent um, because of my background, both in Vietnam and then at Google working in innovation and, and product. And then kind of the world came together. The universe led me to Porter and Ryan, the founders of Jopwell. So fast forward, there we are today. You know, we work with over 250 partners and I help to oversee a community of 100,000 plus and make sure that they're getting, you know, content, access to mentors, events to help them advance in their career. So I'm hearing there's a threat, right? Innovation and recruitment and inclusion and diversity and all aspects of, the, of, of both words, diversity and inclusion. I think it leads me to my next question. There's a lot of conversation about diversity and inclusion, but one can conflate the two. Curious to get you both of your perspectives on diversity and inclusion and the fact that they're completely different aspects of the same coin. Maybe you can just highlight some of the pieces that you've done around diversity as well as inclusion and your perspective uh, with respect to the startups. You are 100% correct. Diversity and inclusion are two separate things. And, you know, my example would be the diversity is, there's different dimensions of diversity. So when you're going to recruit and if you are very intentional about the recruiting, you will look at the different dimensions of diversity. That inclusion piece starts as soon as I start with your company. Like, how am I onboarded? How am I treated? Do I feel like I belong? Am I invited to meetings? From a global perspective, are you having meetings at a time where I should be asleep? I mean, like, there are so many different aspects of that inclusion piece. Inclusion all the way from promotional opportunities, who's being tapped for development opportunities. Uh, and those are two separate things. I've seen in my experience, however, that that diversity shows up in a space where if you want to check a box, then you're going to check that box. You're going to check the diversity box, but that inclusion is the piece that is the long haul and really, really, to me, shows what the culture of your company is really about. Yeah, absolutely. And really simple metaphor to really think about that is, you know, think about inviting folks over to your house for dinner, right? You don't want the conversation to be stale, right? You don't want to get the same 10 guys from the same neighborhood. Uh, We've had those conversations. That's great, right? You want to really have a rigorous debate. You want to get all these different opinions. You want to have global perspectives. And then when everyone shows up, you want to make sure that everyone can eat, right? You might have some people that might require um, an extra seat, might require, um, you know, an extra ramp to get into your house, might require, they might eat with their hands, you might eat with chopsticks, they might eat with forks. And so in order to have the very best dialogue that you can possibly have, um, you have to really be thoughtful and conscientious about how you're inviting people to your table. So that's how I encourage the partners that we work with to think about their strategies with regards to getting the best people, building the best teams that they possibly can. And Joppel's thesis isn't, don't just hire these individuals because they identify as Black, Latinx, Native American. Uh, Make sure that your slate is competitive and as competitive as it possibly can be so you can hire the best person and really push your team. And then once they're in there, make sure that they have the tools to succeed. It really does lead to the question of why we're here in terms of the tactically speaking, how do um, and what are some of the challenges funders and startup leaders face as, you know, they attempt to not only cultivate diverse pools of talent, but then hire with with the lens of equity as well as inclusion. So maybe uh, maybe Tani, since since you're on my screen right now, I'd love to hear, you know, your perspective on that. 
You know, number one is what you were talking about, Kalila, starting early and often. Oftentimes, especially when you're a startup, you're a small company, you're just going to talk to the smartest people you know. Um, and, and that is likely those that are closest to you, you know, those maybe that you went to school with, those uh, that are from similar areas, backgrounds, uh, social groups that you're in, right? And that's to no fault of your own. But once you're there and you have that framework for success, that's when building the, the diverse talent slate and talent pipeline has to start. Or you're going to be left in the dust. Um, so number one is doing it often and early. And then number two is making sure that you're not just being kind of stuck to one silo. A really common example that we'll see that we're going to get into is this idea of kind of talent bar. So we really push companies. A common mistake that we see is, you know, a large enterprise company, they want to recruit from the same three or four competitors. So we try and tell them statistically, you are not going to get different types of talent. You're going to get the same talent that's being recycled to the same teams, right? So a big way to challenge that is to actually build a talent profile. What are the skill sets that you need for this person to succeed? And that's the work that we see that often just isn't taking place early and often enough. And that's really the work of developing a talent profile, understanding what those skill sets are, understanding that those skill sets may be transferable, that they could come from other industries, other sectors, and so what I will add to uh, what Tani was saying is this is where you have to be comfortable being aware. And so many times, you know, with diversity and inclusion, it is a matter of the head and heart. And you can have all this strategy or whatever, but you want to be comfortable in knowing what you don't know and then admitting that maybe you could do something different and then do it. So that's the uh, one thing. And then the second piece is, is really being honest about where you are with diversity and inclusion. Like right now with what's happening in the world, everyone is jumping on board. I get so many calls about we need a DNI person or whatever. So just to be candid here, you want to ask your question, the why? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I feel compelled? I don't want to show up in the paper. I don't know the right thing to say. Will I be in the media? And you want to get clear about if you're ready for this. If you're ready for it, because the worst thing you can do is to get something started, have a knee-jerk reaction, and not have a strategy behind it, or just be really honest about, you know what, I don't know if we're ready for this. What does this mean for our company? Do I need external help? That would be my, what I would add. <laughs> I guess when we talk about the rest of this conversation, maybe we can ground it in the reason and the why, right? Mm -hmm. Why should and why is it important to really think about creating diverse pools you know, specifically for hiring. And I'm being very specific. I'm not saying the best diverse talent because I, and I believe we all do believe that talent that is diverse is the best, right? So it's a nomenclature right there that I think could be grounded in the why. So I guess the question for both of you is, when you think about what's the importance of this, why be intentional about creating, you know, diverse talent pools for hiring as a startup? Yeah, you know, I really liked Marlon's answer because being honest with yourself is really important. Your employees, your stakeholders, your shareholders, they will be able to smell if you're doing this either for the wrong reasons or the wrong way. The answer that I talk about a lot with our partners is, is twofold. Number one, it is productivity and building great teams. So the, the moment in time we're seeing right now is many companies are having their employees actually coming out and saying, I feel unsafe at work. I feel like I am being divested in and deprioritized because many of these topics have not been traditionally raised to the surface from an inclusion perspective. Then from a diversity perspective, you're seeing people actually wake up to the fact that 
products and teams are better when they have more diverse perspectives. As leaders, we really push them to get to the bottom of what building this diverse talent pipeline and team is going to do for your business. Um, we know at, at Jockwell it is the right thing to do. We want us to push them on what it is the best thing to do for the business um, and, and really getting them to understand and articulate what that means qualitatively and quantitatively. I would add, um, we know. We know that it's a good thing to do. But when I mentioned earlier that diversity and inclusion is about the head and the heart, and sometimes, you know, we have the heart, but there are some people in your organization, they need to see the bottom line. They're going to need to see what that means. So I'll give you an example. When um, I was a, also a chief diversity officer for another organization, and um, it was the automobile industry. And it was so interesting because historically they had employer resource groups. But those employee resource groups really were more like clubs. I mean, there's a difference in an ERG in a club. Although they did have a budget. And I will say, I was like, listen, Black History Month, do not give me one more soul food dinner. Do not. Like, we are going to do something else. <laughs> and so we started to talk about those things and just get really real. And there was one group, and it was our LGBTQ plus group, where they actually, we, we worked strategically and they had, it was during Pride Month, and they had like a showcase or something like that. And we did research to show that in that community, there was this one vehicle that was like really hot in that vehicle. So I said, okay, this is an aha moment and this is where we're gonna be able to show the bottom line. So we were able to get permission to give discount codes out to everyone, the thousands and thousands of people who came to that booth. A year later, they were able to track how many people, how many vehicles they sold to that population of people. And when I tell you, it was an easy sale after that. They were like, whoa, like because you were able to correlate the two. And so that is why diversity and inclusion, when you say it's a strategic business initiative, this is why that strategic part is so important. Because although we have the heart for it, we know it's the right thing to do. People, businesses are in business to make money. And we need to understand how we infuse this diversity and inclusion in there where it's undeniable because they right. why. And the only other thing I'd add, you know, to Marla's point is the demographic shifting support this thesis. And that's also another reason from a strategic business perspective to get in front of this right now. Thank you both. So, you know, our audience, uh, startups, um, right here with us, a part of Lift Labs, and really any small company often, you know, source job candidates. And I think both you, Tani and Marlon were talking about this through word of mouth and your existing networks. You know, one of the questions that, that keeps bubbling up is, you know, of course that would then limit and might not allow for more access to diversity, to diverse pools, to diverse, you know, unique talent pools. How would you advise them well, the thesis is really based on this idea of expanding your network. The majority of jobs are created through referrals. And so it's this classic dilemma of if I am a professional and I don't know someone in an organization or I've never heard about it, how on earth am I expected to apply knowledgeably and then upon getting this interview or referral, actually speak about the organization, the language, the teams, et cetera. So what Joffel is trying to do is to build innovation that underlines building the largest network for underrepresented talent. Traditionally, underrepresented recruiting, diversity recruiting has lived on listservs, email threads, group me's. It's been very, very choppy and kind of broken up. 
So what we're trying to do is bring everyone together, provide a technology that then empowers job search and recommendations. Without that, and aside from that, what startups can really focus on, though, is looking at your immediate area and trying to identify local professional organizations, alumni groups, organizations that really tap into your industry um, and your level of experience that you're looking for and simply build relationships with them. Show up. So we really recommend the startups that we work with to simply start building relationships. And now in a virtual and remote environment, it is easier than before. Start to build relationships with these organizations and show up. Start to support their social events. Start to actually engage them in conversation about what you're building. A, you have a built-in way of actually getting feedback about your product, your service, how it's going to be received by audiences that you might have access to. And number two, you're going to passively build recruiting pipelines and relationships with organizations that you didn't have before. It's interesting, um, Tani, when you bring that up in terms of actually the local boots on the ground, heels on the ground, experiences um, with the community and building out your network that way. And then once you interview, once you get individuals in, it's now the interview process. So how, Marlon, do we then think about, you know, creating a diverse, you know, group of interviewers, but then coupled with the idea of then making sure that your board is also diverse as well? It is really interesting because, like I said, uh, the beautiful thing about being at StockX right now is that we get to create all these things. And so I just interviewed uh, for a position. I had a position available on my team, and uh, we have now started requiring pretty much diverse interview panels. And when I say diverse interview panels, because we're a global organization, I needed to make sure that there was various dimensions of diversity on that team. And another part that's really important is that the people who are interviewing are not all my peers. I have people at different levels in the organization that are also included in these interviews. Why? Because from a diversity and inclusion perspective, that's also a part of inclusion. Otherwise, they would not have, especially our frontline team members, they would not have an opportunity to be involved. Also, um, the unconscious bias training and awareness. Like you cannot just show up and interview. You have to go through a series of training to even know what to ask and how to be and how to check your biases at the door. Thinking about just a couple of things that you noted, both of you, in terms of development of the interview process, coupled with the development of the talent pool, how does and how have you seen technology impacts you know startups ability to actually build inclusive teams have you seen that be a, a challenge it's all in how we're going to be leveraging these latest emerging pieces of technology you know you have ai in the form of you know these remote and virtual interview companies um, you have organizations i can tell you if your job descriptions are biased as well i always try and remember that these technologies potentially were built by teams that didn't have some of these perspective and experiences. So we always take it with a grain of salt when we recommend some of these third-party technologies. I was also going to add, you know, from a technology standpoint, one of the things that I've seen over the years, and I'm really seeing an uptick in now, is organizations that will use technology instead of building relationships or organizations that hide behind technology to say, this is why we can't find people. And so we wanna have those honest conversations as well. It is not enough to use technology to just plaster job boards and then come back and have us to believe that you just couldn't find diverse candidates. 
that's just not to me. You're not being intentional. So I want to double down on the importance of the relationships. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I went to the National Black NBA Conference and I just started with an organization. And it was interesting because we showed up huge. They showed up huge. Uh, I had just started at the National Black NBA and we got there and then we saw a little sign that says Detroit chapter National Black NBA was having something upstairs the same night that we from Detroit were having this big national thing. Mm -hmm. And my question was, I said, well, do we know them? They live down the street, literally down the street, but we had not invested. It was more important to say, we're going to do this on a large level and not really get to know the people who are the anchor of these organizations that live down the street. So we just want to make sure that we don't use technology as an excuse not to find diverse talent. Mm -hmm. So how will we know, how will they know that they've uh, reaped some success? How would you measure that? First to, you know, consider diversity of gender, age, education, experience, you know, absolutely. The reason Joppel focuses on ethnic underrepresented candidates is because we understand the need to be intentional. There's a lot of individuals that use this umbrella of diverse, um, and it just kind of means anyone, you know, different who might not be a cis white male. We are very intentional so that the partners that we work with know exactly the strategies and tactics that we're leveraging. It speaks to the importance of having your goals and having not just, you know, your one-year plan, but your five and your 10-year plan. That You understand where you want to be simultaneous to your product roadmap, your culture roadmap, your mission and your values as an organization. Success to us is, are you truly living out your mission as an organization? And are your team and your employees feeling safe and supported in their environment? And in order to get there, you know, do you have equitable processes in place to make sure that you are reviewing the absolute best talent for the role? And if you are doing so, that process is success. We also see that so many organizations are so far from that process. But to us, Jopple is about building great teams. Um, and if we can help you build the very best team um, and live out your mission, we know that you're being successful. And then number two, consistently looking back at your mission and your values to make sure that you're hitting. Um, I would say like, you know, if you can tell, I'm all about being candid and honest. And I think that in some organizations, look, you have to be, diversity and inclusion is not cookie cutter. It's not. And yes, there are so many different dimensions of diversity, but you need to know your data. And then, because your data is not going to lie, and then be really honest and open about where you want to go. So for an example, if you have, if you're looking at your data, and you're looking at your technology department within your organization. And there are uh, 50 people in technology, just to throw a number out there. And two of them are women. Well, okay. At that point, we may want to focus on gender diversity. And we don't have to talk about then all the other dimensions. It doesn't minimize them. But in this moment in time, we are interested in how we get more women in technology. If you have the majority of your frontline workers who are, look like me, who are black people, and in your corporate offices, there's two. So is it okay for us to say, you know what? There may be some racial disparities. Let's, that's what we're gonna focus on. And so I just wanna be clear that diversity and inclusion, like Tani said, it is tough work, but it is also the work where you have to stand in your truth and your truth is behind the data. You cannot be afraid. Marlon and Tani, I appreciate the candor. 
love this idea of transparency and also the fact that you can double down on certain areas to affect change in specific spaces. That's how you affect change. But maybe in, until we get another one, I'd like to, we were hitting on it a little bit. And I know often in, in the recruitment process, this could be potentially a challenge. How do you ensure, if ever, you can ensure that unconscious bias does not seep into and or affect the process? We all know that we all have our own blind spots. How would you advise our startups? For us, there's always some very you know, common practices that we recommend. A lot of the time, it's sitting with the team and, and really going through the practice of potentially looking at resumes side by side you know, without name, without education, and just having an open dialogue about how you feel about someone's experiences before you actually put other indicators on the table, like where they went to school, other companies that they came from, et cetera. And doing that before the interview process even starts so that you can all talk out loud about different biases that you might have. And you're going to see in those conversations, push each other to be vulnerable, push each other to talk about what are you privy to? What are the things that you're drawn to? Because there might not be things that weigh into a person being successful in this actual function that we think about them and if we might want to get a drink with them after work. We want to try and remove those and suppress those so that you can have an honest dialogue around talent. Thank you for that, Tani, because that I want to have a drink with you conversation is something that does come up. But then I think when you also think about when people are talking about necessarily those comments, and we've all heard them, how do you counteract those comments from leadership such as, you know, we hire the best to promote the best candidates for the position regardless of race or gender? How do you combat that kind of conversation? Because we know it seeps in. Once again, data. You know, the data doesn't lie. And this is why diversity and inclusion permeates throughout the entire organization. So it's easy. Like for me, if someone says, you know, we promote the best or we promote or whatever, it's easy for me to pull the data to say, this is our promotion history. And let's, let's, put, let's overlay diversity and inclusion here and see if we see a trend. So, you know, overlaying diversity and inclusion on everything, performance reviews, promotions, uh, who's being tapped for uh, development roles. I mean, I, I really will just double down on that. What and what advice would you give a predominantly white organization who is working to attract and hire more diverse talent? What type of advice would you give them? You know, I think it's having that open and honest dialogue with everyone in the organization. There, we're all culture carriers. Everyone has the opportunity to impact an organization. Um, one of the first starting points is just to sit down with the talent team and start to really map out where you're getting your talent from. This data will allow you to tap into patterns that you might be seeing, right? 75% of your talent might be coming from referrals internally. So potentially you might want to then have a goal that we're going to try and get that number down and increase the number of having referrals from outside networks and organizations. And we're going to make a goal to build relationships with 10 networks that are directly affiliated with the work that we do uh, with the goal of actually building a pipeline of 50 candidates to have conversations with over the course of the quarter. No one's saying that we're hiring them just yet. No one's saying that we're guaranteeing everything, but we're getting out of our comfort zone to build relationships um, with underrepresented talent but we're gonna build a goal around a deficit that has been a blind spot for the business. Um, and you're then attach a champion and an owner to that. A another thing that we see oftentimes is there's no dotted line. 
to leadership or management. And so these goals are then resting with two or three other people, usually the other employees, either of color or female, um, and they already have their day job. So this is then work that's compounding on top of their job um, that they are then feeling. So this is a company-wide goal that we're creating where everyone is involved to hit it. But those are some of those low-hanging fruits of let's get out of our uh, typical ways and networks of recruiting and actually look to tap into talent. What happens when you perhaps are in a rural area, startup is in a rural area, and have been hearing, you know what, we can't find talent for this role. How do you address that conversation? And what are some of the steps some of our partners might be able to, um, to do in order to make sure that their pools not only are um, diverse, but also the individuals in, who, in which they're hiring are diverse as well? Yeah, you know, to the first question, we do work with the organizations and companies that might be in a city or a part of the country that is, you know, predominantly white or an area where there just might not be a lot of reach. Um, and we really push those companies to, number one, in this virtual and remote environment, at least try and expand their talent pipeline if they are looking to now hire virtually or remote to tap into other job uh, networks and hubs. Second is to potentially open offices or other hubs in those cities where there are higher parity of demographics and where the talent is there. An example that we give is we have a company who they're going to start to offer all of their business leaders to do ment virtual mentorship circles with diverse talent. This is going to connect them with talent all over the country that's interested in learning more about their specific business and their specific function. Um, who have gone through at least one stage of the recruitment process just to start to learn from a business leader. And the goal with these small mentorship circles is, number one, to expose the business leader that there is diverse talent that's interested in the organization and has the basic bottom line functional uh, skill sets to be successful. And number two, we want the talent uh, and the candidates to actually build their own network around the business itself. Uh, and then from the, from the, the question about you know, tokenism, we support and provide advice to a lot of candidates. So these, these topics of, you know, imposter syndrome and really going through a process where you might be the only, you know, on one hand, this is why we really do recommend talent slates for companies. Again, statistically, you'll see if there is a candidate that might come from one diverse channel, statistically, it's usually, you know, almost zero that they're going to advance in the process because your hiring managers are seeing great talent from more backgrounds than just this one isolated background. We always just try and press on, you know, fall back on your skill set. You're in the room for a reason. Fall back on your talent, on your profile, removing any other biases and kind of indicators from that page. You're in the room because you have the talent to succeed and you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. So you even being in the room is uh, helpful to this organization. And those are, you know, really critical, thank you, Tani, critical aspects of being a person of a diverse background coming to the forefront and interviewing, and then also putting the onus on the company to make back to the very beginning of this conversation, inclusion, right? That's really what we're talking about. Um, before, and thank you all for your questions. If you have one thing, one thing you would like our startups to, to get from this conversation and to really um, understand some of the work that you've personally been doing, what would that be? A key takeaway, is, and I said it already, is that diversity and inclusion isn't a thing you sit on the side. It's not just this thing. It has to really be embedded in your organization. And you know that diversity and inclusion is 
working for you, when your employees, your team members feel valued, supported, and respected. Those three things. And everyone wants to feel those things, valued, supported, and respected. And understanding that it permeates throughout everything. So it's from the recruiting process, it's to the onboarding, it's development, it's succession planning, it's leadership development. It is just a full cycle. And if you can remember that thing, and then I would also say the data is key. Yeah, and uh, off of Marlon's words, it's a holistic strategy. It's not just for your DNI team. It's not just for your recruitment team. It is soup to nuts, the entire strategy of business operations. And so it's really to take the time to look at all of the different areas of the business where this work can be advanced and to create strategic plans for each of those areas of the business. That's the biggest uh, barrier that we typically see is this work is really owned by a few people and the rest are you know, not challenged to think through how this work impacts them. And it's really to think through that. This has been Ideas Elevated from Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more info and to find us on social, head to ComcastNBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was produced by Kevin Schmidlin with associate production by Catherine Nails, editing and mixing by Max Graham, and theme music by The Last Generation on Film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time.